Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Do as the message says and like and subscribe or drop a five-star review or whatever you can do here. We're winding it down, folks. We are a month and a day from the end of the NBA season. And so this is the time of year where I have far fewer things to promote. Well, although this year we do have that baseball draft guide, but usually I have almost nothing to promote to you at the tail end of a season. And so that's when I ask for the give back because I continue to roll with this, frankly, somewhat idiotic Iron Man streak of doing uh, every fantasy NBA Today show for something like four consecutive calendar years running. And then at the end of a season, I turn around and I say, look, here's what I need from you guys. And so right now, what I need from you guys is daily likes and subscriptions on our blossoming, like a flower in springtime, YouTube page for Sports Ethos. Or if you're listening over on the recorded side, please do take a moment to drop a five-star review on the pod, whether that's on Spotify or iTunes. It matters not to yours truly, but I do need this from you guys as we Rumble into today's Wednesday show. It's Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I am Dan Bespris. Still, I'm telling you guys, I'm warning you all right now that whether it's the quick hits on Twitter or the YouTube shows, but more than anything, it's really uh, the recorded editions of this podcast. I'm going to miss an episode at some point. I've done every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday episode without a missed day since well before COVID. I think in 2018, I had Adrian and Neil doing Friday shows for me in the off season, and I'm fairly certain that since then I have not missed a weekday. And we're at, that's like almost five years now. That's too much. That's too much. That's through a lot of colds, by the way. Anyway, so morning, you guys. There is going to be a, a misfire coming up here at some point. But let's dive right on in. You can follow me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris. I feel like by now every one of you has found me over there. But maybe there's one straggler, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. For the YouTube viewers, it is right there on your screen. In plain whatever the hell uh, my last name is, <laughs> it's English letters, <laughs> Uh, it's, I think it's Yiddish, actually. It's sort of a Yiddish last name. Whatever. Milwaukee beat Orlando 134-123. We're just launching headlong into this stuff right now. No Giannis. No Drew Holiday. No problemo. The Bucks win again. They're, they had that one loss blended in there, but Milwaukee's been unreal basically since the turn of the calendar year. They're 47-18 and overall now. They do have the best record in the NBA by one game over the Denver Nuggets. And they have put a little separation between themselves and the Celtics at two and a half games now as well, because Boston's been kind of, I don't say floundering, because they're still really good. And five and five in the last 10 is not reason for panic, but it is more pedestrian. Doesn't really matter, I guess. It gives Milwaukee an opportunity potentially over the last week, week and a half to give their guys additional rest, but they haven't pushed their guys that hard anyway. The biggest fantasy news out of this Milwaukee-Orlando game is that Chris Middleton cleared 30 minutes for what I believe is the first time since November? 
at all? No, he did clear 30 minutes on December 9th. Played 31 minutes. The next day he played six and a half. Tried to play through some stuff for two games after that, and then he was out for a month and a half, and he's been on slow ramp up ever since then. The Chris Middleton ramp up has been about the most strict a team has ever stuck to a ramp up program, frankly, that I can remember. Because since he came back on January 23rd, listen to the minute count here 15, 15, 15, 18, 20, 20, 20, 22, 25, 25, 17. That was a blowout loss, I believe. No, blowout win. Uh, back up to 25. 23, 27, and now 30. Number of games that I just listed, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. 15 games to get back to starters minutes. That is a long, slow, arduous, six and a half, seven week ramp up. But we're basically there. Middleton was awesome yesterday. 24 points, four boards, 11 assists, a steal, a three-pointer, and 13 out of 14 free throws. It is far and away his best game of the year. And he saved it for some fantasy playoffs, although he won't be playing in Milwaukee's back-to-backs, which come on uh, Monday, Tuesday of next week, and then towards the end of the following week, which unfortunately turns that one into a two-gamer for him. Luckily, full-tilt Chris Middleton is is a start in a two-game week. Very much a start in a three-game week. Because full tilt Chris Middleton is top 50. That's generally your cutoff for two gamers that you'd start in a weekly format and for two gamers you'd hang on to in a non-weekly format. But obviously you need to get there first. And, you know, if you get to March 24th or 25th or whatever it is, maybe he plays in the front end of that Utah-Denver back-to-back, altitude back-to-back, yikes. No one should play in a back-to-back. No one should play in both halves of that one. Then maybe you cut bait after, you know, if he plays in the front end of it. But that's pretty good news, actually, on the Middleton front. And I I forgot to even mention that in my Twitter recap last night. This is a big deal. Don't read too much into the other stuff. Bobby Portis had a good game because Giannis was out. Ingles and Javon Carter got to do more because Drew Holiday was out. So they needed some more sort of stabilizing ball handling presences out there. And then Jay Crowder and Pat Connaughton are kind of beating each other up for those swing minutes. And in this one, Crowder had the better game, but that'll kind of kick back and forth. Why Mo Wagner only played 21 minutes is anybody's guess for Orlando. He was actually very good in his 21 minutes. 18, 8, and 3, two steals, two three-pointers. Didn't get back into the ballgame late because the Magic decided they needed to force-feed Goga Batadze 20 minutes. And to Goga's defense, he actually played relatively well also. Uh, but for me, as long as Wendell Carter Jr.'s out, you're rolling Wagner. He's shown himself to be a very capable starting center from a fantasy standpoint. And that's what he is right now. And we don't know when uh, Carter Jr.'s coming back. No other real notes on this team. Cole Anthony was better, so Jalen Suggs was worse. Those two guys have rarely been able to coexist this season. And they both, to me fall into the schedule stream bucket, which is a very full bucket right now. Expect to hear me say that term a bunch of times as we work our way through the card. Daniel Gafford, game-winning tip-in for the Washington Wizards. He played 25 minutes, which is enough to warrant a hold in all formats. He might be sliding back towards schedule stream zone, but he's been good enough in enough of the ball games to where when he has the bad one and it's... 
23-24 minutes. There's that average out with the 28-30 to to a startable midsection. The answer is yes. Corey Kispert, on the other hand, I would need to see this a few more times. Denny Avdia is not trustworthy when that team is healthy. You could call Avdia and Kispert schedule streams if you wanted. They're not my favorites, but they're kind of like low-end schedule plays. And then I, I've gotten some questions about what to do with DeLon Wright, and the answer is ride it, man. Is He is the league leader right now in steals per ball game in the NBA. DeLon Wright at 2.1 since OG Ananobi went real cold since coming back from his injury. DeLon has blown past him, and DeLon's a top 50 per game guy thanks to that hyper elite category. And like good percentages, low turnovers, that doesn't hurt. What about Detroit? Uh, what, what about Detroit? Detroit makes me want to vomit. Um, I, hate, I really I hate talking about this team right now because they are in they're teetering on shutdown. But then the question is who? So we got word yesterday in the afternoon that Boyan Bogdanovich shutdown is on the table. So if you're sitting on him and he's in an injured slot because he had to get the IL tag um, when he got ruled out in yesterday's ballgame, he's a roster slot you could potentially soon, maybe, not yet, don't do it until we get confirmation, soon you might be able to clear that slot out. And if that's the case, eh, it doesn't really do much for me because he's been in and out of the lineup a bunch lately and Detroit's gone full mix and match mode. The guys that, I, that I'm not sure of are Isaiah Stewart, and Jalen Duran. With, Bog- with Bogdanovich, he's an older dude. So you kind of get it. And Detroit, first of all, they're locked into the bottom three. So I don't think they have anything to worry about on that front. But then there's also this whole like, what if you don't get a top three pick? What if three teams from other spots jump all the way to the top of the board? Well, then the, the Pistons would still get like fourth if they had the worst record in the NBA instead of fifth pick. Doesn't change a ton in my estimation, but... It might be might be worth them force tanking a little bit harder here. I don't know, man. They're so close to the bottom. I feel like a team needs wins just so they don't want to cry themselves to sleep every night. But I, I get it. Uh, so in the meantime, Marvin Bagley, James Wiseman, you can start in most formats and then just pray they don't go to the free throw line. But, you know, as, if Duran comes back, he probably gets 26 minutes of ball game. I don't think he plays 30, which makes Duran a very difficult hold in Roto games cap, unless you're kind of looking towards the future. Uh, Stewart probably mostly splits his minutes with Bagley as well. I don't think that as this team gets healthy, anybody is really going to get full minutes except maybe Jaden Ivey. He feels like the only guy on the roster right now that's kind of guaranteed starters level minutes, even when they get healthy. He's been very good lately, too, as everybody's been shut down around him. You'll see Alec Burks pop up on some of the back-to-backs. You might even still see still see Bogdanovich pop up on a back-to-back if they don't go full shutdown with him. And then at some point, I do think we still see ba- uh, Stewart and Duran, but their roles will not be that large. So I don't think you really need to be holding on to either of those guys. All they would do coming back is make it so that both power forward and center become more of a timeshare, and that's kind of screwed for everybody. 
Tobias Harris came back for Philly, and that knocked Jalen McDaniels out of the mix. DeAnthony Melton got the start for James Harden, and he did enough to buy himself some more time on a roster in a blowout win. So you can you can sort of half-junk this box score. Anthony Edwards still stayed afloat on the Minnesota side, which was lucky because his, the rest of his team was flat-out terrible. I... um. I've been so busy this week, and I've had so little time that I forgot to set some lineups, and it accidentally left Mike Conley on a couple of benches, and at the end of the night, I went, well, that was a lucky break. Um, hard to know that Minnesota was going to get steam-trained like this. They've been playing a little bit better lately, I thought the Wolves had. And we got word this morning, talk about burying the lead, that Carl uh, Anthony Towns did get some activity on the floor for the Wolves. So he's still trying to get back in time. I'm not fully convinced we see him in the next, I don't know, three weeks or so. So on the head-to-head side, I don't I don't think that you really do need to be squatting on him this whole time. I think with Roto, you certainly might as well. Um, and for Minnesota, they're, I don't want to say comfortably in anything. They're the seven seed, but they do have a little bit of cushion especially while they've been playing a little bit better lately. So, you know, keep a keep one sort of side eye on the the Carl Anthony Towns stuff. Otherwise, kind of junk this one cuz they just got smacked. Charlotte big comeback win over the Knicks. You want to talk about a team that just went into full hangover mode? It was definitely New York. So their winning streak snapped. Knicks are still playing really well lately. They've been very good on the road which, you know, hang your hat on defense. When you play defense, you can win some road games, and they've done that. Knicks are the five seed. Um, Everybody around them won, so it was a tough time for New York to kind of let their guard down. But it did work if you have some Hornets, because coming into this ballgame, you might have thought, ooh, boy, this doesn't look great for Charlotte playing a red-hot Knicks team, and then they caught him napping. However, there were only four Hornets that had good lines in this fantasy game. It was Oubre, Hayward, Rogier, P.J. Washington. All played well. Mark Williams did not. And you can put a little bit of that on New York. Um, you know, Mitchell Robinson, very good defensively on the interior. And so that limits the ability for Mark Williams to go get offensive rebounds and putbacks and things of that nature. Um, he still played 28 minutes, so that's the good news there. Mark... Mark and the four guys I just mentioned remain holds. I think Dennis Smith Jr., I thought he would have a, a, a more prominent role. But what you're seeing now is that uh, Charlotte is trying to play Williams, Richards, and P.J. Washington. And so that crowds things out a little bit to where Terry Rozier is forced into most of the point guard minutes now. And instead of opening up point guard minutes for DSJ when LaMelo went down, they just shifted everybody down a peg and are going huge for longer stretches. DSJ, um, I mean, honestly, overall, he's still probably playing well enough to be held in most formats. He, You could also classify him as like the world's best schedule stream right now. But I'm also kind of looking towards the future on the head-to-head side. Charlotte is rolling into a two-game week and he doesn't need to be held for that. I don't think Williams needs to be held for that. I Like I said before, I like to me, Oubre is a yes, because he's going to take almost 20 shots a ball game. Rogier is going to take 20 shots a game. Hayward is... He's been a lot better lately, I'll give him that, but he's been a little up and down even, even now. Those three guys, 
maybe Peter. It's tough, man. And if you're in a if you're in a dog fight and you've got a couple of them, you probably have to drop at least one. Ah, head to head. You make me want to smash my head into a fence. Um. Meanwhile, over on the Knicks side, I wouldn't make any large-scale adjustments. I'm a little surprised we didn't see Jalen Brunson for this ballgame, but hopefully he'll be back for the next one. Emmanuel quickly slowed down after his monster double-overtime 55-minute performance in the least-expected outcome on planet Earth. I mean, these guys' bodies, like, they can get the adrenaline going enough for that one game, but there's going to be a letdown, and that is precisely what this was because they shot 43% against a team that doesn't play any defense, that, that's just having no legs. They had no legs. I guess other than Mitchell Robinson. So anyway, no valuation changes there. Uh, quickly is a start in all formats when Brunson is out and more so on the head-to-head side when Brunson is in. Brooklyn blew out Houston. Also not particularly surprising. How about Mikhail Bridges? Damn, dudes. Damn. I say Damn. Mikhail Bridges, thanks to his continued mega surge in Brooklyn, is now up to number 26 on a per-game basis. Eight by totals on the year. Yes, you heard that right. Over the last three weeks, basically since he became a Brooklyn Net, he is number two by totals and number four by averages. Not only is a first-rounder, he's a high first-rounder over that stretch. And some of this is limited sample size because as a primary, he's not going to shoot 55% long-term. He's probably not going to shoot 95% at the free-throw line, although he is a very good free-throw shooter. And his field goal percent is typically above average. Still, uh, the game is just in his hands right now. And he gets steals, and he gets blocks, and he gets rebounds, and he gets assists, although he didn't get rebounds yesterday. And he gets three-pointers at a ridiculously high clip. Uh, this dude is the real damn deal. Mm. Mikhail Bridges, sick. Royce O'Neal, I actually considered him as a, a Brooklyn schedule play, and then I backed off, and then he had a decent ball game. Um, and that's what he is. He's a schedule play, but no other notes. No notes on uh, on Brooklyn. You've got the main four, and then anybody beyond that is a schedule play, sorta. Nerlens Noel, by the way, made his Nets debut and was inconsequential in the outcome of the ball game. On the Houston side, Tar Eason found 28 minutes again somehow. Jabari Smith Jr. actually had an okay ball game for once. Something, I guess. Jalen Green cooled back off. Uh, missed a bunch of free throws as well. Kevin Porter Jr. cooled off. Missed a bunch of everything. KJ Martin played 27 minutes. He just isn't going to have as much to do. I got yelled at a little bit for suggesting that he might not be a rest-of-season play as the Rockets' high-volume guys came back simply because, you know, a lot of what KJ was doing wasn't just about his additional playing time. It was about the fact that he was getting 14 shots a game, and that's just not going to happen when he goes back to being the fifth option in the starting five, which is what he was yesterday. 21 shots for Green, 13 for Jabari Smith, 12 for Shangun, 11 for Kevin Porter, but he also gets assists, and 7 for KJ. So would I hold on to him a little bit longer? Yeah, because he's a starter. Uh, and as a starter, who's generally been just a, a hair over the cut line. But a lot of that has come with other guys out. Tar Eason, um, 
I mean, he didn't get as heavily involved in this one. He had some foul issues, five fouls in his 28 minutes. But, he, I mean, 28 minutes is all you can ask for there. Usually rebounds better. Uh, still got his three steals. And for this one, I mean, how are you going to rebound all that well when the other team is just powerbombing you with shots? Love it. I think we're finally there with Eason. Took until March, but we got there. OKC beat the Warriors. Talk of the Thunder in tank mode. Perhaps a hair premature. Pronounced it annoyingly because I found the discussion of tank somewhat annoying. They are going to be careful with their guys because, look, they're not a championship contender. But I think they'd like to make the play-in. I think they feel like that would be good for their young guys. So Shea's probably going to get back-to-backs off. Um I'm curious if the Jalen Williams wrist thing was just resting the front end of a back-to-back or if it's actually a this-will-keep-you-out-for-a-couple-of-days kind of deal. So let's keep one eye on that as well. Uh, Josh Giddy has turned it on late again. That's kind of been his M.O., but is this the... I do wonder if this is the he's-turned-a-little-corner kind of moment for Giddy. I have not even looked at him in fantasy drafts yet, but perhaps if he can keep this run going... It does seem like he's settling in a little bit these days. Lou Dort was a guy who picked up a little bit of the slack yesterday uh, with Jalen Williams out. Dort is not a guy you trust in uh, nine cat unless you're attacking specific categories, which makes him a schedule play. Jalen Williams is a schedule play right now. Curious if he can get above that. Not convinced he will, but something to consider. Isaiah Joe, he's a Shea fill-in play, so that perhaps on the table is kind of a one-night stand sort of deal, uh, and that's basically every name on the team. Aaron Wiggins, I mean, he played starters minutes, but his fantasy game is is not particularly good, so yeah, that's good on that front. Uh, Steph Curry looked like Steph Curry, 40 points, 10 three-pointers. He had six turnovers, so that wasn't great. Warriors had 21 of them as a team, and they're... They're not pleased with each other in Golden State. You, there was footage circulating of Draymond Green just throwing his arms up in disgust on an offensive set, walking away from the play, and then a pass went sort of past him. Uh, he's mad that... I think he's generally mad at Jordan Poole. Um, but the Warriors as a team just are absolutely atrocious on the road. They are as bad as the team's tanking on the road right now. It's really crazy. Whatever, though. Um, Fantasy standpoint, Dante DiVincenzo remains a play until Andrew Wiggins comes back. Jonathan Kaminga got the start here uh, with Kevon Looney moving to the bench. Golden State was trying to counter the smallness of the Thunder, and it did work. Kaminga had a good ball game, and he was a plus three in a game where very few Warriors were a plus anything. Um, But it does feel like that was more matchup than anything else, which makes him a schedule play. And also kind of makes Kevon Looney one, too. Dallas beat Utah. Jazz continue to kind of fall on their faces here late in the season. But again, they're missing everybody. Excuses, excuses, you say. But, I mean, it's a pretty good excuse. They traded away their most important guard. Jordan Clarkson's out dealing with hashtag thumb stuff. Um, Colin Sexton's out with a hammy. So, Laurie Markkinen's still playing, although it does feel like it's just a matter of time before he gets a few days off here and there. THT was a little bit better in this ballgame, thank goodness, because he was really falling into a hole. I still prefer Chris Dunn between those two dudes. There's just fewer ways that Dunn hurts you 
THT, not a good free throw shooter typically. He was better yesterday. Turnovers generally too high. I know this ballgame was better, so it's not a good one to grade out the the problems with Taylor Orton Tucker. Uh, but you guys, I you know, if you're listening to this pod in March, you've probably watched enough basketball to know what the issues are with Horton Tucker. And Chris Dunn doesn't have those. He doesn't turn the ball over the same way. His his percentages are better. Neither guy really hits the three ball. So that's why I would lean Chris Dunn. And all of this goes up in flames if Colin Sexton ever shows up, but it sounds like he's still at least a week away. So we might as well see this thing through. I am surprised that Kelly Olynyk is still getting starters level minutes. Uh, feels like the Jazz are getting ready to pull the plug on things, but not quite yet. I love Kelly. You guys know I love Kelly. But I am genuinely concerned that Sort of the end is nigh on this year. I wouldn't do anything about it, because as long as he's playing and starting, he's a good fantasy asset. But, yeah, concern thyself. For Dallas, uh, Reggie Bullock got hurt. That thrust Tim Hardaway Jr. into a bigger role, and he embraced it with seven three-pointers. Of course, that's coming against my team in a head-to-head league where I badly need to win large or I'm not going to make the playoffs. Stinking Tim Hardaway. He has been hot lately. Yeah, THJ's been on like about a five or six game heater. Uh, you can ride that if you want now with Bullock going down. Justin Holiday picked up a bunch of extra playing time. He's the guy I would rather look at if we find out, like let's say that Justin Holiday slides into the starting five. I would take a long look at it because he gets the defensive stats in a way that THJ generally doesn't and also is lower volume. So when Tim Hardaway Jr., when he's bad, he's real bad. And with Holiday, when he's bad... Yeah, the 3 and D stuff is still there to kind of float him in a way that with Hardaway, it's the 3 is sometimes there, but the D is generally not. I know THJ had two steals in this game, but let's give credit where credit's due. Uh, the Jazz were throwing the ball to the Mavericks. That was very nice of them to do so. Christian Wood, still only 21 minutes. The downward spiral continues here as Dallas leans harder into defense around all of the offense they have now in their starting five. And this is probably Kyrie's best game with the Mavericks, although, you know, again, grain of salt type stuff here going against a team that hasn't really played defense all season long in Utah. But, I mean, Kyrie's good. Luka's good. Uh, but, I mean, you're, you're seeing the adjustment period. Luca, by the way, is down to number 16 on a per-game basis this year. We got off to that great start again, and then the low free throws and the high turnovers. That's really the problem with him. Everything else has been uh, very, very good. And the Lakers beat the Grizzlies. This was shorthanded versus shorthanded. I know everybody's like, oh, Memphis didn't have Ja. Okay, yeah, I mean, Lakers don't have LeBron. They don't have D'Angelo Russell. This is going to come down to which team could sort of squeeze out a few extra good shots. And uh, for the Lakers, still having Anthony Davis was very much the difference in the ballgame. AD had seven turnovers. Yikes. But he also dominated the game in basically every other respect. 30 points, 22 rebounds, and just devoured the Grizzlies. Devoured JJJ and Xavier Tillman. They didn't, they didn't stand a chance. Healthy Anthony Davis is... Still kind of a sight to behold. It's so easy to forget how good he is when he's upright because he's banged up so damn much. But then you see these stretches. Like, remember very early this year when LeBron was dealing with stuff and, you know, they still had Russ and a bunch of 
G-leaguers <laughs> to fill in around him, and AD was almost carrying them. It feels like it uh, five, 15 years ago, but this is what he was doing. It sounds like D'Angelo uh, Russell, I'm going to call him a, I keep doing the D'Angelo Russell, D'Anthony Melton hybridization on this pod. I got to get my, slow my mouth down a little bit. D'Angelo Russell is likely to be back Friday for the Lakers, which is likely to render Dennis Schroeder not usable in, uh, certainly Roto Games cap. Maybe you could squeeze him in there for a kind of a schedule spot. Lakers are on uh, a couple-day break here. They've got Toronto and New York, a couple of tough ones here to finish up their homestand. Then they've got a better schedule next week before it lightens back up again. Lakers have a pretty easy schedule and not a particularly game-heavy schedule down the stretch, which is good for their old guys because you know likelihood of injuries a little bit lower, likelihood of rest days a little bit lower. I still like Jared Vanderbilt. Um, they didn't need him as much in this ball game. They needed him much more the last time they played Memphis because Memphis had Ja for that game, and so Vanderbilt was the guy that was chasing him around. Memphis didn't really have that dude here. Uh, Desmond Bain was god-awful in this game, and the Lakers did a lot of ball denial with him. They just didn't... They knew that Bain was the guy that that could get going and hurt them, and they... Lakers executed really well on defense. Credit where credit's due. They've been doing a lot of ball denial stuff lately, and it's it's really it's pretty big. Teams get frustrated when they can't get the ball to the guy they want to get the ball to. So then Tyus Jones ended up having to run a lot of offense. He's good. Tyus Jones is very good. He's the best backup point guard in the NBA by a, a pretty wide margin, I would say. But suddenly this game fell into the hands of Tyus Jones and JJJ, who had a pretty good game, by the way, and that was good for the Lakers. Xavier Tillman might be saving one of my fantasy teams with this stretch here. No Brandon Clark, no Steven Adams, so they pretty much have no choice but to give Tillman max Xavier. Uh, so he's very much a play. Tyus Jones obviously a play while uh, Jaw is out. On the Lakers' side, um, you got a good game out of Rui Hachimura. I wouldn't read too much into that. You know, he, was, he was warmer from the field, and so they wanted to stick with him a bit longer because he also is a big body. That's one thing the Lakers have figured out. It took them a while, and frankly, they needed different personnel. But when big guys are having, like, meh games, you can stick with them a little bit longer just because they can protect you a little more on defense and rebound a little more, as opposed to, like, you know, Malik Beasley is an interesting example. He and Lonnie Walker could not throw a basketball in the ocean yesterday. I don't know if I've ever seen Beasley look that bad in a ball game. He had a couple bricks that were like over the rim, banged off the side of the backboard kind of stuff. When he's off, when Lonnie Walker's off, there just isn't as much of a reason to leave him out there. So the Lakers went to more Austin Reeves, more Troy Brown Jr., who's very much earned it, and more Rui Hachimura. Simple enough. What do you do as D'Angelo Russell comes back? Because that's what you're sort of planning ahead for. Uh, I don't know that I would trust anybody beyond AD D'Lo, and I still like Vanderbilt, though it may be the death of me. His energy stuff is just so critical. And then when you look ahead towards Toronto, a team that have uh, a team that has all these rangy ball handling wings, I think they're going to need Vanderbilt in there to rebound. I think they're going to need him in there to chase Pascal Siakam around. This feels like just the kind of game 
that Vanderbilt's going to need to get 28 or more minutes, provided he's not in any kind of foul issue. Let's turn our attention now to the schedule streaming portion of the proceedings. I have to figure out how to get that up on the screen for my buddies over on the YouTube side. And I think I successfully pulled that off. Yep, there it is. Um, This is an easy one today. Don't do anything unless you are in one of two extremely extremely narrow sets of circumstances. Don't do anything unless you're in one of these two scenarios. Scenario one. I don't know why my camera uh, refocused when I move like two to three inches forward. Scenario number one, you lost someone to injury yesterday, which again, wasn't that many guys, but like, I don't know, were you rolling Reggie Bullock? You might have been. What did Dallas, what was Dallas's schedule? Uh, I mean, they were on a back-to-back yesterday, today, so maybe you were trying to squeeze out a back-to-back out of Bullock. It's not a long stream, so I wouldn't have recommended it, but let's say you were doing that. Uh, with Bullock now listed as doubtful, provided he is uh, ruled out for tonight's ball game, you'd want to get off of that sooner. Um, I know Shea is probably resting, but you're not going to drop a guy who's been a first-rounder uh, even to add a couple of ball games because he's just been kind of too good himself. And that's really the only one I can think of outside of maybe Detroit with all the rumors swirling of Boyan Bogdanovich being potentially shut down for the remainder of the season. Uh, but he should be IL eligible now. And, you know, I could see a world where if you already have someone in your injured list... And then Boyan becomes IL eligible. You have to kind of make the call between those two guys. Which one do you think is actually coming back? And which one do you think is probably staying out for the rest of the season? Boyan, it sounds like, is probably the guy that you'd end up having to cut. Okay, so let's say in that very narrow set of circumstances, you had someone that got hurt yesterday or is now being rumored to be ruled out for the the bulk of the season. In that scenario, you drop that person for someone who has three games the rest of this week, and preferably also a game on Monday of next week. There are, however, only two teams that fit that, and it's Atlanta and Miami, two teams we've actually been talking about on this show all week long as having really good schedules. Remember, we talked about Atlanta having five games in eight days to start the week. Miami also five games in eight days to start the week. Starting today, four games in six nights rolling through Monday of next week. Miami actually also plays on Wednesday. Atlanta does not. So between those two, if you really had to pick one or the other, uh, Miami is the slightly better schedule between those two teams. The other scenario where you might consider making a move today is if you have a fringy Minnesota Timberwolf because they had a two-game week, but one of those two games was yesterday. Meaning the Wolves now have one game over five days to finish this week. That's not enough. Anthony Edwards is, I would argue, perhaps the only Timberwolf that needs to be on your roster for these five days. Yes, I would prefer that you hang on to Rudy Gobert, uh, but it's not mandatory. He's a coin flip, and it's going to be, it's kind of depend on. Um, it's going to depend on how close your weekly battle is going right now. If you're really in a tight one, 
You drop Rudy Gobert and you pick up some dude who has three games the rest of this week. You don't even have to worry about the four and six. Just get three games the rest of this week, which and there's a crap ton of those. Atlanta, Brooklyn, Charlotte, Cleveland, Denver. I mean, the list goes on and on. It's like basically a third of the NBA has three games still remaining this week. Like maybe eight or nine teams, something like that. So think about it from a math standpoint. If Gobert is going to get you like 12 points and 13 rebounds and two blocks in one game, can you get that out of somebody playing three times? I sure as crap hope so. That's what? Four points? <laughs> four, four, four points and three and a half rebounds? Four points and four rebounds, if you want to call it that. Four points, even five rebounds. Hell, let's go crazy. Can I find someone out there who scores five points with five rebounds? Yes, you can. That's a top 300 player. They are on your wire in anything besides 30 teamers, basically. Because there is basically no one in the NBA that can do in one game what another player can do in three, again, outside of the world's deepest fantasy leagues. Nobody. But, um, you know, I'm assuming your playoffs probably continue after this week, so that's why you'd want to have Anthony Edwards for a four-game week next week. And he'd be the last guy that you'd kind of cut in that scenario. But, you know, Mike Conley, I like Mike Conley a lot, but he's definitely not good enough to ride out one game in five days. I like slow-mo a lot, but he's not good enough to ride out one game over five days. Jaden McDaniels, I like a lot. Not good enough to ride out one game in five days. So if you have a fringy Timberwolf and you're worried about losing your fantasy week, you should turn them into a, a player with three games because as we've talked about, and I always come back to this, one streaming adage. Long streaming is about two things. One of them, of course, is being able to stretch it out for a long haul so you can stream more roster slots on your team. But the biggest, biggest one is whatever move you make, aim to get at least a two-game jump. It's almost impossible to do that with every single move, but that should be your target. While long streaming, can I make a roster move that gets me a two-game bump over the duration of this long stream? So if you're going Minnesota to somebody else and you're just worried about through Sunday, it's a five-game long stream, you can get somebody with three games. The Wolves do play on Monday of next week, so if you went to, say, Atlanta or Miami, you could actually call it a six-game long stream, and you'd still be adding two games to your ledger over that span. But outside of those two very unique scenarios, which I, I mean, you're kind of threading the needle a little bit. So it's people who are rostering like Conley, Jaden McDaniels, Slow-Mo, and maybe Rudy Gobert, not Ant, or someone who is dealing with an injured list overflow, courtesy of the Boyan Bogdanovich situation, or some other injured player that I'm not thinking of, but there really have been frightfully few players go down with injury. Reggie Bullock was the other one I said earlier in the show. There have been very few uh, important players going down with more than day-to-day -day stuff so far this week. And I know there's only been two days this week, but so I don't want to get carried away or anything. Um, but it does mean that you can probably save your roster moves towards the end of the week, and that's what we should be doing anyway. Do try your damn level best to hold on to your remaining moves until Friday or later. Uh, Atlanta has the back-to-back -back Friday, Saturday. Miami also has the back-to-back -back Friday, Saturday. So you're not really missing out on anything. 
And Brooklyn, I believe, and I'll double-check myself on this while I'm talking, I believe is the only team that goes three times Thursday through Sunday. They have that back-to-back in their... Brooklyn had a good schedule starting yesterday. Their back-to-back is in the is the meat of that sandwich. The bun is the Houston and Denver on Tuesday and Sunday, and then the, the beefy patty in the middle is Milwaukee, Minnesota uh, tomorrow, Friday. So... Um, Potentially, Brooklyn is what you'd be looking at tomorrow. And really, oh, Knicks also have uh, three and four to finish the week starting tomorrow. So they're the, the New York teams are your two possible options. If something goes haywire today, if you have a player ruled out for injury, whatever. Um, or if you, and you know, we'll talk more about this on tomorrow's show, but if you make it to tomorrow, Thursday, with all of your weekly moves intact, then you need to start using some moves up. And that would be moving from a team that only has one game Thursday through Sunday to a team that has three Thursday through Sunday. Sorry, Charlotte is actually in that bucket as well. They go three times uh, Thursday through Sunday. Boston has one game Thursday through Sunday. Chicago, Dallas, the Clippers, not surprisingly there because you know some of these teams were... Two game weeks. Minnesota, but that's actually starting today. Uh, Phoenix, that was part of a two game week. And uh, Toronto, their week was was relatively front loaded also. Um, They only go one time after today, the rest of the week. So uh, there are a few teams tomorrow where if you have a, a bunch of weekly moves to use, that would be the time to do it. And believe it or not, folks, that is actually our show. We're able to kind of move a little bit quicker these days, especially when there isn't as much to stream. Friends on the recorded side, please do come join us on YouTube at some point here in the not-too-distant future. We're having a we're having a ball. We're eating too fast uh, over on the YouTube side. Uh, but if you can't make it, I totally understand. We're trying to get these fired up around the 9 a.m. hour Pacific time. Uh, again, if you are listening on the recorded pod, Please drop a five-star review. It's the time of the year where I start to really bug you about it because we are on the downslope. Some of you are going to stop listening when your league ends. I get it. Even though we go full bore throughout the entire offseason, through the playoffs, we talk some betting in there. We talk a lot of lessons learned. Um, I'd like to say that I'm ready for the offseason, but I'm not. I love the first, like, four weeks of the offseason because we get to do all these lessons learned shows. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, we got I got, like, five months to kill the hell am i gonna do also follow me on twitter at dan Bespris, and we will do it all again tomorrow let's keep winning the day in our playoff leagues so long for now